Welcome to Deed and Truth, a podcast exploring loving God and loving our neighbors, not just in words, but also in actions, and with the Bible as the source and standard of truth. I'm your host, Tommy Morris. Normal co-host, new co-host, Sean Schomer is currently on the road serving those, helping those who have been impacted by Hurricane Ian, and so that gives me the opportunity to have a good friend in as a guest host with me today. I have Mr. Scott Vitro. Hello. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Tommy. Yeah, man. I'm glad you joined, especially on short notice. <laughs> yeah, no worries, man. Let's let's do this. <laughs> Scott, just uh, so the everybody out there knows a little bit about you, man. Tell us a little about yourself. Uh, yeah. So I'm Scott Vitro. Um, Tommy and I go to the same church. Uh, we've been good friends for a few years. Originally from Arkansas, grew up a, uh, a good old country boy, joined the military, uh, met my wife when I was in the Navy. We lived in California for almost 10 years, and then uh, God decided to move us to Florida. So here we are. I was uh, actually raised uh, Roman Catholics. I don't know if you've had any Roman Catholics on your uh, podcast yet, but um, yeah, I went to boarding school. Uh, I was an altar boy, like the whole shebang. Um, I ended up leaving the faith when I was about 17, and you know, it was in, uh, you know, some pretty dire straits, but, um, anyway, God started drawing me back once I got married and had a kid and, uh, you know, then I got introduced to the world of, uh, you know, theology and, you know, studying scripture and it's just been so fascinating. So there we go. A little bit about me. So you are the first, I believe person who's ever been a part of the Roman Catholic faith to come onto the, yeah, to the podcast. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Kind of interesting that you come on in a time where we are going through the five solas. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think it's great. You know, um, you know, really the five solas are just a summation of what's already been there. And that's kind of the whole point of the reformation. It's not really about like, you know, trying to, you know, punish one side or the other. It's like, Hey, like this stuff has always been there and it's true, you know, and I went through tons of catechism classes and, uh, learning, you know, church history and everything from the, you know, Catholic point of view, but um, I'd never run across anything really like this. I mean, they obviously do believe in, you know, similar things as far as like faith. Um, just I think the outputs and the way it gets there are different. So, yeah, now I'm excited to talk about these. Yeah, yeah. it's been uh, life changing, literally. Yeah, I mean, it's good. And, it's, and it's, I'm excited to get your perspective from that of kind of coming from that side of it and now being on the reformed side of it and you know what the differences are and you being able to kind of speak from i think a spot that you know many others would not be able to to speak from Uh, so i'm excited about that and we'll have to probably have to do another episode sometime and just talk more about your past and upbringing just just sure. a lot of the things that you've seen as far as the differences and and all of that oh yeah so. dude when i was growing up man my mom was uh was mormon for a little while so i've got a lot of perspective okay okay so <laughs> but, we but, just but, but grandma was taking me to regular church you know okay. all those years on the side so. we just do a whole episode on all <laughs> your different religions yeah, your den- yeah, I mean, denominations yeah, she, she's not anymore by the way but yeah yeah <laughs> so, the, prog- the progression of scott vitro's yeah. church hopping. things tommy didn't know about me before the right yeah chalk that one up that was a new one that was a new one well so last week we sean and i talked about sola scriptura scripture alone and we talked about the authority of scripture we talked about the sufficiency of scripture and today we are going to be talking about sola gratia grace alone what a great topic i mean there's so much here and i mean especially you going through the uh, foundations of scripture and their importance it it, it really kind of tests 
what you think about scripture. Like, cause once you start getting to, you know, things like grace alone, you know, you can really dive into some deep subjects that, you know, really question some foundational things, you know, so it really goes back to, you know, Hey, how much do we believe in, um, you know, the purity of scripture, the authenticity of it, you know, is it, you know, truly God's word? Um, because you really can't deep dive into, you know, the meaning of grace, until you really accept and understand, you know, that God's word is true. You know, even if we wrestle with it or maybe don't like it sometimes, you know, it's, it's still there. So, but yeah, great topic. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because without a solid understanding of scripture and having that foundation, I mean, when you do read about grace, I mean, we've seen it. A lot of people have, have taken it and ran way over there in left field with it and, and yeah. the way that they apply it to their lives. And, you know, we'll discuss some of that today, but it really does have to come back to having that scriptural foundation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what is grace? You know, when we think about just a kind of a working definition. I mean, it, it's uh, it's really a continuation of mercy. You know, God gives us mercy first, you know, in like that legalistic way. You know, if we think about like a judge or something like that, you know, we commit a crime and the judge, you know, doesn't enforce a punishment. That's the mercy part. Right. But grace would be like, you know, the judge not only not punishing you for, you know, your crime that you deserve, but then giving you something, you know, extra, even more, you know, like it's it's unmerited, uh, unmerited favor, you know, getting something you don't deserve. Yeah. And that's that's wild to think about, like the the shift this past Sunday when Andy was preaching, he talked about that, about how we all are deserving of God's judgment yeah. you know, and, and our sin. And like you said, it's that mercy of not getting what we deserve. But then it goes another level to getting what we don't deserve, that eternal life, that relationship with Christ, you know, that is completely unmerited. It's it's amazing. I mean, it, it would going back to like the judge analogy, it'd be like a judge dropping your sentence and then saying, hey, not only are you forgiven, I want to adopt you as my son or daughter into my family. You know, like not just the mercy or the grace of just his riches and love and how much he wants to pour into and bless our lives um, in a spiritual way um, that we just absolutely do not deserve. The thing is, is in the past and, and we've seen that there's really nothing new under the sun. I mean, arguments right. and things that have happened, they, they've been happening from early Bible times. I mean, you see... You see things in the New Testament, but a lot of times when we see uh, false teachings or things addressed in the New Testament, they're, a lot of times they're quoting scripture from the Old Testament. So, you know, the prophets and, and everything in the Old Testament faced the same things. And then we see them now, you know, a lot of times they have different names and they try to spice it up a little bit. But a lot of times it's the same arguments or teachings that kind of come against some of the core tenets of scripture. You know, we're going to talk more about the works aspect of things when we talk about, uh, do our episode on faith alone. But just to kind of lay some of that foundation now, there was an element of church history where it, it was kind of taking away from the grace of God and from our faith, kind of two of these solas that we would discuss. And it was, you know, looking more at works-based and even uh, a denial of, of original sin kind of within us. I think we, we saw this with Pelagius. Yeah. With Pelagius, he believed that man was not entirely affected by the fall and that we were able to please God through our good works and thus earn salvation. And in part of his teaching was his denial of the need for God to provide grace in order for us to be saved. 
So he would have thought that man basically was good enough or could become good enough to earn his own salvation and that Jesus was more of a model to follow. Now, the reason I think that's interesting in Pelagian's view of this, of Jesus being a model to follow, is that's what we see in progressive Christianity. When we talk about like penal substitutionary atonement, progressive Christians nowadays would, would say, no, that's false. That's cosmic child abuse. Jesus' death on the cross was really just a model of how we should love one another, that we should be that sacrificial in our love for one another, but that it really wasn't necessary for salvation. That just seems like that would implode on itself because, I mean, if Jesus is the model that we're supposed to follow, then wouldn't we all then need to be crucified for our own sins, you know? Like, you know, it, it, it just wouldn't make much sense for that just to be a model. I mean, of course, everything, you know, yes, we're supposed to be self-sacrificing um, and things like that. But um, and then that would lend way back to like more of a workspace. And, you know, being a you know former Catholic, you know, there's different, you know, sects of Roman Catholics, too. But, you know, I, it, that reminds me of like the ones down in South America who have, you know, traditions every year where they will reenact, you know, crucifixions and people will literally be up there and be pierced and stuff like that. And I mean, it's so like, it's, it's shocking, it's extreme, but you know, like that kind of goes back to like, well, that would be following the model. And it's like, that doesn't make sense. Like, you know, we're, and then, you know, and then I also think it's a slap in the face to Jesus, you know, thinking that something in addition to what he did is what's earning our salvation. You know, when he clearly, God made it clearly known that that was the atonement for our sin. And it would be like crucifying Jesus over and over again. It surprises me, but it doesn't surprise me that things like this, you know, still exist. But, but I mean, it's like you said, it's, you know, same package, different bow, you know, in, in our modern church. I don't think most of us are going to the extreme of like following the crucifixion model, but we right. want to, but we, you know, it really comes down to like a control thing, which is just a human, you know, nature, you know, go back to Adam and Eve. Like we want control. We want to be God, right? So we want a part in it. Um, instead of humbly coming to God and saying, hey, I have nothing to offer and I completely depend and need you to do it for me. But we don't like that, you know, because we want some say in it. We want some credit for it. But it even says like the whole purpose of this is so that we can't boast, right? Because it's always about God and his glory, not ours. There is this element of us wanting to kind of control our destiny and and be a part of it. And, And there appears to be kind of this false humility to it. It looks very, you know, that can look very pious, you know, to say, oh, no, 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 God, please, you know, like, oh, that sounds so humble. It's, pr- it's total pride. Yeah. It's total pride. It's, it's the false humility of, of really going, I know better. I can do better. I can, I can get this on my own. Yeah. Yeah. I think we saw more of the work stuff uh, as it kind of, as church history went on with Arminius, Jacob Arminius. Uh, kind of took this and did kind of a semi-Pelagianism where he kind of took some of Pelagius's views and and continued to kind of go with this workspace thing. And I think there was more of a kind of in by faith, but kept by works and you got to keep working to keep it uh, kind of thing. And and still there was this um, element of, of God's grace needing our help, you know, that it, it wasn't quite enough. But it's like you said, it's like, that's a slap in the face. If that's if that's the case, why did Jesus have to die? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things just to kind of touch on these two views is just to to go back and address original sin. You know, Romans 5, 12 through 14 states that therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, speaking of Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. 
Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So Pelagius stating that we weren't necessarily affected by the fall and that our good works could ultimately save us is completely refuted as Paul writes in Romans saying that, no, sin came in through Adam and in that we are all sinners. Yeah, yeah that's I mean, probably it's pretty clear. one of the most important parts. We are all sinners, and that's repeated in other parts of Scripture, too. It's even, as he goes on in Romans 3.23, he says, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no caveat to that. There's no little subscript saying, except for these few or whatever. It's all. Well, I mean, let's let, let's talk about that for a sec. I mean, because I, I feel like earlier on in my walk, I'm sure other people do too, like just even this, like accepting that we all fall short of the glory of God. I mean, I think people wrestle with that. For me, I can't state enough how much history has just even influenced the United States, like from the Greek world. You know, think about all the philosophers and all the mathematicians and gods and everything, right? So we we still have this today where we think that it's like weights and balances, that there's some sort of scale, like just like the ancient Greeks would have thought like, well, you know, in the underworld, there's, you know, you're good and bad. And not only is it a silly idea, it's a scary idea because I was thinking, I was like, even if God did judge us by like our good and bad works, like on a scale system, I feel like most of us would fail anyway because our definition of good is different than God, though. And so we, we think we would be OK. But when you're comparing what you think is good to a perfect and holy God who you know demands perfection, I, I wouldn't want to be on the scale system. I wouldn't want to be in a well, you know, hey, I did you know some good stuff this week. So, you know, that's that's another, you know, brownie point for me. Like, I'm terrified of that system just in general, because I think I, I understand how imperfect I am compared to God. And that, you know, even that produces like a like a grace and humility just to know, like, yes, you have fallen short. You know, and it reminds me of like Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, and he's begging like, you know, hey, if there's 50 righteous people, you know, all the way down to, hey, if there's 10, please don't destroy the city. You know, God's playing along, but he knows he's like, none of you, none of them are righteous because we have all sinned. No, no matter how how big or small, because, you know, one violation of the law violates the whole thing. So, I mean, I think sometimes people even just have a hard time accepting that we have all sinned and fall short. And that's what's important going back to having the the foundation of Scripture. Yeah. And understanding what Scripture says. Yeah, you'll hear people say, well, I'm so-and-so, they're, they're a good person, you know, or I'm a good person. And it's, well, yeah, what is your definition of good? The other thing is about that that's kind of scary to me is, well, how do I know if I've done enough good? What's right. What's the amount that gets me there? Yeah. You know, and we're all going to have different yeah. interpretations of that. Or the scary part, not knowing how much bad you've done because you're blind to it. That's true. That's true. You know, in mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis talked about, you know, there's kind of being this universal understanding of, of a moral code. Yeah. But people seem to apply that code differently based on whether they are the recipient or the giver of mercy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That we. We tend to want a lot of mercy shown to us, and yet we extend far less than we hope to get. And so that moral code, you know, even though there is some unspoken or, or at times spoken moral code among society, it still falls way short of God's standards because we are imperfect people who hold that code very imperfectly. And when you read scripture, the only way to be good, according to that, is to keep the law perfectly, which none of us can do. Yeah. You know, and so or by faith, but we'll get into that later or by faith. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Going back. Yes. Yes. Thank you. 
in following the law, the only way for them to yeah. to have been justified by the law would have been to keep it perfectly, which could not be done. And that is where we would fall short in thinking that we can be good enough. It's a it's a poor understanding of what it means to be good in God's eyes yeah. and having to be perfect, which none of us can achieve. Yeah, none of us. And I mean, that, that right there should, you know, end any and all questions about our, you know, or is all mankind sinful? Are we all impacted by sin? Yes. Yeah. I 100%. Mean, yeah. Yeah. Because we have this misguided, you know, thought that like, you know, some philanthropist or whatever is out doing good works. And yeah, I don't want to get too much into works yet, but uh, I'm just getting excited about all these topics. But, but um, yeah, anyway, let's, let's, well, yeah. let's move on. From and that. so because of that, we have all sinned. Yeah. We, we do not keep the law perfectly. And so Paul follows that up in saying the wages of sin is death. And so now if we're saying, okay, we're all sinners and sin deserves God's judgment and sin brings death, then we are all deserving of God's judgment and ultimately death. And that's where grace comes in. Yeah, it is. But I think even just getting people, you know, to accept that is, you know, it's, it's definitely a real challenge. You know, even like what you just said, I loved what you said about like, you know, we want to receive grace, but we don't want to extend it. And like, well, why is that? It's because, well, we usually don't want to extend grace because we see some injustice or sin and we say, no, you need to pay for what you did. Right. But then we look at God who demands even more from us. We're like, no, 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 please don't. Like, why, why would I deserve this? And it's like, so we, we have this innate, we can't help it. Even, you know, like a toddler fighting over toys, they want justice if it's taken from them. Right. God is the same way. Like he's all loving, but he's all, you know, he's perfectly just as well. And it's just getting to that realization that like, no, like we are not just before God because of any good works we do. Now, I mean, you know, those things, you know, come later, you know, as an output of, you know, belief and things like that. But anyway, I feel, I feel myself trying to stray topics. So I'll I'll try to keep (laughs) on it. But anyway, well, it's, I mean, it is hard because when, when you look at grace alone and faith alone, there, there's a lot of overlapping, you know, and, and, Knowing that we're going to do that one as well, you know, it can be very easy to kind of jump back and forth, especially with the works element of it. But, um, but it really is this idea that we we need grace because we're not good enough because Jesus is the only one who's ever lived perfectly. Right. So we need to put that into perspective. We are not good, and the measure by where we try to say we are is right. an inaccurate measurement. So with that said. We look at grace in regards to salvation. We cannot keep the law perfectly. We cannot earn it. We cannot do enough. You know, there is not an innate goodness within us from birth that can make it through and earn salvation. So we need God's grace for salvation. And so we've established that we've all sinned, that sin deserves or brings about death. Yeah. It deserves God's wrath and thus the need for grace. Yeah. And God giving us what we don't deserve right the mercy that leads to grace yeah yeah i mean i was just sitting here thinking about that you know like mercy is not getting you know what you deserve but you know i i think god's heart and grace is not only you know if we go back to the judge analogy not only saying hey you know we're dropping the charges but now like i'm going to help you i'm going to help you be a better person, go in a different direction in your life and give you what you need. Um, and so I, I think that grace is like a lifelong part of sanctification too, you know, cause it's not just so, Hey, I forgave you, you know, this awful, terrible thing, but now I'm going to help you, you know, through the Holy spirit, um, through my grace and mercy, you know, for the rest of your life. And also that promise that he's going to keep us, you know, in that too, is just amazing. It's interesting. So I knew, I knew someone who went on a mission trip to like Cape town, South Africa, 
years ago, years and years ago. But they met a, a guy there whose son had been killed by like a gang. Yeah. And basically left on his front porch. Good grief. Yeah. And so the guy ended up finding out who the, the individual was who killed his son. Yeah. And he went to him and told him that he forgave him. And then he told him, you have to come live with me now. You you wow. have to be my son now. Bro, you're about yeah. to like make me cry on a podcast, yeah. dude. And you cut it out. <laughs> wow. That story has stuck with me over the years because it is this, you know, being represented here on earth. It's He extended mercy by not seeking vengeance, first of all. Yeah. Not even seeking justice through the law. But then beyond extending mercy, he extended grace by saying, not only am I going to forgive you, man, but I'm going to have you come in and you are now going to be my son. Yeah. And I am going to love you as though you're my son. And that that's a guy who understood the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. And he was more interested in representing Christ well and being a witness to this young man than he was about his own hurt, his own pain, his own maybe desire for justice. Yeah. You know, and that's just, that's powerful. Dude, you like give me the chills over here about that. But yeah, I mean, analogies are never perfect, but that's, that's about the closest one I've heard on that subject, man. I mean, I, I'm, I'm literally trying to sit here and think like, could I do that? And uh, I mean, the short answer is no, none of us could apart from God enabling us to do that, you know? And, and I think that that's just more of like a testament to God's power. You know, to be able to not only forgive, um, but to bring in, you know, as a son. And um, yeah, I mean, that's that's amazing. But that exactly represents what God wants to do in, in our lives, too. And and he's offering it as, as a free gift, you know, like that that dad wasn't taunting him or, you know, it, 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 any any type of dangling or anything like that. He just he just did it. And that's that's crazy. But that's that's love, you know. You know, I've often thought, like, maybe I could extend mercy. Maybe I could say forgiveness, right? But could I do the grace part? Could I Could I go that extra? Like, I don't... Well, okay. I struggle that, with that part. Well, that, that's, right? that's actually a good point, and it, it reminds me of another attribute of God. So, that would be so hard because you would be living with that memory every day. But God says that he can forget our sins, you know, as far as the East is from the West. You know, he remembers them no more. And we don't understand exactly what that means, but but he obviously does and can do that. But yeah, I mean, there had to have been some way that dad was at such peace that he could, you know, block out those memories to say like, no, like God's love is is more powerful than than these memories of what justice demands, you know? Yeah, and I think that's someone with an eternal mindset versus a temporal earthly yeah. mindset. They're looking beyond the here and now, you know, and and looking to the hope of eternity and knowing that that man's that young man's salvation meant more than him doling out justice. Yeah. You know, and so that's a, that it does. It takes a, an eternal mindset. We see throughout scripture, this correlation between salvation and the grace of God. Yeah. And the fact that it, that it's not anything we can merit, nothing we deserve, which I would say also bothers me with the modern progressive Christian movement, because there is almost this prideful, idea that it's that we do deserve it todd white i'll just go ahead and call the name out just throw it out there yeah yeah i'm just gonna go ahead and put it out there I, i've listened to him numerous times and i've heard him say from from the stage that thinking about jesus dying on the cross didn't translate to him what a sinner he was for him what that meant was how much he was worth that jesus would pay that hefty of a price to get him 
Yeah, so so he made Jesus' death on the cross about his worth. Todd himself, his worth. Not that he was a sinner and that such sin required so great a sacrifice. No, it was that he was worth so much that Jesus would pay the price for him. Almost like Todd was the pearl in the field and Jesus was willing to, to bankrupt heaven to go get Todd. You know, and then I've heard him go, you know, seen the videos of him going out on the street and just telling people, you're awesome. And because you're awesome, God wants you. You know, and I'm like, that's, no, there's nothing in us that's so awesome that God needs us or that it, that something within us merits salvation or deserves it. I think, I think, I think deserves is probably the right word because I mean, I don't want to discourage people either. I mean, God does love you like more than any of us will ever know, even as like parents to a kid, Oh yeah, you know? Um, so there is a lot of value and worth in that, but yeah, but there's nothing in us that would make him respond that way. Cause I think people have the response backwards. Like, well, because I'm doing this now, God's going to move and respond because of what I did instead of no God moved and you responded to what God did. Just like, you know, none of us would ever see God, you know, it says that in scripture too. No, not one. Um, you know, it also says that, you know, we love him because he first loved us. And I think, I think people just get the movement backwards. I mean, every person does have an incredible amount of, you know, worth and value. Um, but it's only because God bestows that value on us, not because of something we did to say, Hey, look, I'm valuable. You know, Hey, pick me, pick me. But yeah, we, so we all have intrinsic value in the sense of the whole Imago day that we are made in God's image as humans. And so as humans, there is some, in, some value yeah. to us being God's creation. Yeah. And in his image. And yeah. yeah. And so I think maybe that's the thing of, of like you said, deserve is the better word of we have value, but the value of, of being God's creation in and of itself does not lead us to deserve salvation and all that comes with that. Yeah. Cause scripture very clearly points to, our sin or our sinful natures being deserving of God's wrath and judgment and death. Yeah. So yeah, it's good to, to maybe make that distinction and kind of bring some clarity between the two. Um, but yes, um, value, but not deserving. And so in not deserving, we have to turn to the free gift, which I like what you said, that it's God that initiates that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we, we don't, you know, we, we don't move God like God moves us, you know, like he, he's the mover of everything, the whole universe, all creation, action, reaction, you know, where did it all start? It's God, right? Like he's the mover of everything, not us. Yeah, that's good. You know, Paul wrote in Romans 5, 15 through 21, wrote about uh, the free gift of grace and salvation. And I, and I think something like five or six times he uses the term free gift. And another three or four times uses the word grace just in those six verses. I mean, so the the constant use of those two terms just shows how much Paul was emphasizing that oh, absolutely. this yeah. is not something that you can pay for, that you can earn, that you can merit through works. This is a completely free gift of God bestowed upon you by his grace. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about a gift... I mean, a gift, a gift can either be made or it's bought. Right. And I mean, in this case, this is a free gift that was bought for us through Jesus, you know, so we have nothing to do with how that gift came into being, you know, we're just the recipients of that. 
Yeah, that's good. I'm, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. That it, that it was bought, but not by us. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't we didn't like put the bow on, you know, like literally the whole package was given to us. Yeah. And Paul writes again in Ephesians that it's by grace that we're saved through faith, which we'll get into the next episode. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. So, again, just emphasizing that it is a gift and that it is by grace and that is nothing of our own doing to achieve it. Yeah. And like Thomas said, get into the other part. But uh, the next verse does talk about the reason why. That it's not our own doing and that it's a free gift. It's so that none of us can boast. And I think that that's super important to remember, you know, even with our best pious intentions, ultimately, whenever we think that we have, you know, some big part to play in it, I think that that's a form of boasting. And we need, we just need to constantly kind of check ourselves and make sure, you know, hey, am I doing this for my own boasting rights? You know, that, hey, I, I, I've got a claim in this, you know, stake here that I did something. Yeah. And Romans 11, just touching a little bit on the worst thing, because I know we're going to talk more about it again next week, but Romans eleven six 6 states that, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Well, why not? Well, because otherwise grace would no longer be grace. I mean, that pretty much makes it clear right there that if it is by any other means, if it is by anything that we do in and of ourselves and our works, if it is, if there was any way for us to purchase it or obtain it any other way, then grace would no longer be grace. Yeah, I mean, it would lose its very definition. And I mean, I, I think people get confused because, you know, we look back at the Old Testament and, you know, we think about, you know, the, the role that works played. But I mean, even right here, you know, he, he's saying um, it's no longer on a basis of works. And so, you know, to me, that's essentially saying it's no longer based on the law. It's based on God's grace. Um, but I think people misunderstand, you know, the, the purpose of the Old Testament. Because, I mean, how many times did God say, I'm sick of your sacrifices? They mean nothing. And it's because it's always a heart issue for God. Like, yeah, sure, they were, you know, tithing or, you know, sacrificing you know, the animals. But none of that was really covering sin completely or fully. You know, that, that was God's way of foreshadowing that there would be an ultimate sacrifice to cover sin. Um, but I think sometimes we look back at, you know, the law. And honestly, every other religion in the world. I can't think of another religion where a person doesn't play a part in the salvation process, right? And I think no, that is the distinction with Christianity. Yeah, and and it does make us, you know, separate, you know, as as we should be. But you know, but just don't look at the law or other religions and think like, you know, just even the influences, you know, in our own in our own country and culture, you know, that say like, you know, hey, we have a part in this because, you know, it's saying right here, none of us can keep the law. And so God's giving us something better, you know, and that's his grace that we don't need to perfectly keep the law because there's something better. And there's something bigger than our sin or the law or anything else in its grace. And so we've we've seen that that it is God's grace in our salvation and, and God's grace continues to work in our life continues to be bestowed upon us throughout our life. Any blessings, anything that we receive, it is only because of God's grace, you know, and there is that process of sanctification that continues along. And Titus 2, 11 through 14 says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So I'm going to stop there and then I'll, and then I'll get back to, to what I was saying. I do want to make it clear that when it says all people, Oh, yeah. We're talking all tribes, tongues, nations. It doesn't literally mean every single person because then that, that would be universalism. And that's not taught throughout scripture. 
just again, another point of knowing scripture and knowing right. the full right. counsel of scripture so that we just don't take a verse out of context and go, well, it says all people. So that means everybody That's not what that means. So that's a little side note there, but going back it says the grace of God has appeared. So it's his grace bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And it goes on there, but it's just going back to pointing that it's God's grace that continues to bring us to a place of living a life uh, where we renounce ungodliness, where we're renouncing worldly passions and desires and fighting against the flesh. You know, that is all because of His grace. You know, five seconds outside of His grace, and we would be so depraved and full on in sin. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, yeah, there, there's a lot to sanctification in here about how it trains us to live this life. But I love even down in verse 14, you know, because it's like, you know, grace, grace, grace. And, you know, yes, it produces salvation. But it's like, what's what's the point? What's the big picture here? And I mean, it tells us at the bottom of verse 14 to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And I mean, again, we'll talk about works another time, but that's the whole point because I mean, why, why would God go through all this trouble to, you know, extend mercy, grace, to grant us salvation? And it's because he wants to set apart a people for his own possession. Like we were literally created to be set apart for God and for his good works. And that's why there's this continuous abounding talk about grace and why it's so important. Yeah. He's making for himself a blameless, spotless bride. Yeah. And that's, that's what he wants. And we, uh, we actively <laughs> fight against his plan, you know, more often than not. At the beginning of the episode, we talked briefly about how there are some who can kind of take the idea of grace and, and run to left field with it. And I think we see this um, with beliefs such as like antinomianism or modern day called cheap grace. And that's the thing. It's, it's funny because it, it gets brought up nowadays. But as we said, nothing new is under the sun. Paul yeah. was addressing this all the way back in Romans chapter six. He's kind of addressing those who, who seem to have this idea that since there is grace, since God's so gracious and bestowing on us this, his mercy and his grace, does that mean we just continue sinning? Does that yeah. mean we sin more? Because the more we sin, then that gives God the chance to bestow more grace. And that's a good thing, right? Yeah, yeah, we're we're helping God. Yeah, we're helping Him grace. be more graceful. No, yeah. but I mean, I I love this verse because I've I've actually wrestled with this before, like this whole you know little section here because it is it's like Paul, like why would you say like where there's sin, grace abounds even more? Because yeah, I mean, like the logical progression is like, well, you know, if we want more grace, we got to sin more, you know, while forgetting you know other parts of scripture where it talks about like basically not forsaking God's patience with you like you know his patience is meant to produce repentance like you know and i feel like it's the same for grace he's giving us grace to show number 1 that he is better than sin that he you know is over sin he has conquered it will conquer it you know finally that grace is bigger than sin but no that's not an excuse cuz like that's just stupid right like, well, let's just go sin more, you know, so God will give us more grace. And I mean, and then, you know, that would, you know, to me, you know, it's like if someone's giving you a gift and you think about grace as a gift and then you go out, you know, like you said, you know, like that, uh, that man and his son and he brings, you know, the, you know, the murderer into his home and then like the guy tries to murder the dad again or something. It would be like, you know, going back and slapping that person who gave you the gift in the face. Yeah. By going out and sinning more, even though they're saying, hey, if you slap me in the face, I'm going to give you even more grace. But I mean, it's just it's a ridiculous thought. Right. Completely. And that's that's what Paul's you know, addressing here. Yeah. And again, it goes 
back to violating the full counsel of God, the full yeah. fullness of Scripture, and, and going back and looking even at what Paul talks about in Galatians 5, with the fruit of the flesh and fruit of the Spirit. You know, we're told to walk in the Spirit. We're told that we shall know them by their fruit. Yeah. You know, and so I think that's pretty clear that if you continue sinning. Well, right. If, you're, if your <laughs> right. fruit is just continued sin and right. amplified, you know, then, it's supposed to go the other way, right? Yeah, then I think we've made it pretty clear which, which side of the line you're on at yeah. that point. You yeah. know, it, you're, you're not proving God's grace. You're proving that, that you aren't truly a believer. Yeah. And I mean, that that's totally distinct, though, from like, you know, yes, God's grace is there and it functions even for backsliding. That's not a... You know, like, oh, don't be, you know, all of us backslide, right? All of us still sin in our walk with God. It's just, it's not an excuse. I think people use it to go out and justify like, well, hey, you know, I slept with so-and-so this weekend or, you know, I did whatever, you know, thing. You know, I I screamed at somebody whatever. And just saying, well, you know, God's grace, you know, because you don't really have a repentant heart. You're just banking on that. You're taking advantage of something, you know, that somebody, you know, that God's given you. Yeah, it's like you're standing there before the temptation and you're debating, do I give in? Do I not? And then you're going, eh, God, I'll forgive me. Yeah. Yeah. And I it's mean, this flipping attitude talking about, you know, being a former Catholic, um, you know, I still have a lot of love for my brothers and sisters in the church, but, um, you know, talking about like confession, I don't want to get into the doctrinal piece of confession, you know, in the catechism part, but just people's general conception of it is like, well, you know, I did this, but I'll just go to confession and I'm fine. You know, that's all I got to do say a few prayers, priest forgives me. And like, that's that, that that's not producing a heart change or even sanctifying anything in your life. It's just an excuse to take advantage of God's grace. Like it's a get out of jail free card kind of thing. Right. I, just, I go check this box, yeah. you know, and I'll be fine. And then we kind of get back to the weight and balances and it's like, ah, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. I mean, and we are cautious to not swing the pendulum too far. I think yeah. we, you know, you and I have talked about the overcorrection that happens within the church of, yeah, you oh, know, yeah. such and such, or like this scripture or this, you know, doctrine is violated or, you know, misused. And so then the pendulum swings all the way over. And so we don't want to take cheap grace and swing the pendulum all the way over to legalism. Right. Because we're yeah. so afraid of somebody cheapening grace or trying to argue that you can live sinfully. That's not the the key. The key is to to bring people to the place of walking out the fruit of the spirit, walking in holiness before God. And like you said, that that heart change. We're not about changing people's behaviors. Anybody's behavior can change for a time. Sure. But is their heart truly changed? That's the key. You know, and so I think that's where we just, you know, always want to be cautious of the overcorrection. Oh, yeah. Because I mean, well, I mean, that, that really leads into like another part of grace we really haven't touched on. I mean, if, if, if you want to. So we, we've talked a lot about like God's grace to us. But, you know, speaking of like modeling Jesus, you know, like what does grace look like when we extend it to others? You know, so, sort of thing, too, because speaking of what you just said, I mean, you know, we could get into like hardcore doctrine and theology. But, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of people who what they're saying isn't wrong, but how they say it is also very wrong. It's either aggressive or it's arrogant, you know, things like that. And then we get in this, you know, trap of like, well, you know, I'm not being gracious, you know, with other people, like I'm right. And I know I'm right. And then, you know, that kind of goes into like the whole warning about like, we, we accept this as God's gift so that we don't boast. And then when, you know, we start reading and, you know, studying, you know, we think we're all that. And then we get arrogant and start boasting. And it's like, it literally tells us not to do that, you know? So I just want your thoughts on like grace, well, I mean, that's something Not up and down, but, you know, side to side. Yeah. I mean, straight up, that's something that I have had to ask forgiveness for in the past. You know, there oh, was this year, 
like within the last 90 days, I would say there was something where what I said was facts. What I said was right. It was true, but I was not gracious in my attitude and how I said it and, and kind of my attitude towards the person. I was not extending the grace that I would hope to, to receive, as we said earlier, right? With, with the mere Christianity book, I was not giving what I would want to, to get. And so I was, had a much more judgmental heart towards the person uh, than I would hope they would have towards me if I were in the same situation. Uh, and, and so I had made a comment in front of some people and I had to actually ask their forgiveness. You know, I was like, I was wrong in this, you know, I did not extend grace here and that was sin. And so, you know, I, I asked forgiveness and, and repented of that. And so, yeah, it's, it, it can, it can happen. It's, it's easy to do, you know, it's easy to uh, slip into that self-righteousness to feel like you've achieved some moral high ground, you know, and forgetting the grace that God bestowed upon you and the fact that any righteousness you have is his robe of righteousness. It's not yours. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think of like other things too. So like, that's kind of an example of like, you know, maybe arrogance, but it really, it, it just made me think about like, okay, like how do I actually apply? Like, okay, I'm going to give you something you don't deserve, you know? And then it immediately made me think of my marriage. You know, I'm very like detail oriented, you know, the organized type of person. And so I find myself in the sin of like, you know, keeping tabs tit for tat, you know, keeping a scorecard of like, why well, did this? You did this. But like, what would my life look like if I actively said, hey, even though in my mind, which isn't right anyway, about keeping a score, you know, I'm going to give you something that I don't think you deserve. And I, I think I would just challenge people like, you know, this next week or whatever, try to actively think about like, well, I'm going to give this person something they don't deserve. Or even if you're having a theology conversation and they're acting arrogant or ignorant and saying, okay, I'm going to look past this and give you grace that you don't deserve. I mean, not to put our place, you know, ourselves in the place of like judgment and stuff like that, but just actively practicing grace, you know, like what is that even in marriage, you know, or towards, or towards our kids. It's like, look, told you a hundred times. I know you're disobeying me, but I'm going to give you something you don't deserve. You know, I mean, you put grace. a challenge out there because honestly, it's probably easier to show it outside of our marriage. It's, yeah. It seems to be harder yeah, to show with those true. who are close to us, who we know all their worst parts. They know all our worst parts. And a lot of times it can be harder to be gracious in a relationship like that, but that's good, you know, and, and thinking through and trying to be intentional to think, how can I extend more? Yeah. You know, if, uh, what is it? If, if they ask you to go one mile with them, go to, if they ask yeah. for your, Shirt, give them your tunic, you know, always that extra, you know, are we willing to, to give that extra, to extend that extra? You think about Matthew five, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, pray for them who spitefully use you. In Old Testament time, there was a, an understanding of sojourners coming through. And if someone who even was considered an enemy was a sojourner through your land, you know, there was an understanding that you had to bestow grace upon them. Safe passage, safe passage, yeah. shelter, food, all of that. Like you would actually provide for some immediate need for them, which is unheard of. Like, like that's, an, that's an enemy. It's somebody that next week I might be going to war with right. and, and we might be trying to kill each other. But in this moment, as they're sojourning through your land, you have to bestow this grace upon them. You have to give them what you don't feel they deserve. Right. You know, and that is that is that call to love your enemy. It is. And it's, it's that sense of justice that is inherent to our nature. And, you know, we, we want justice when we see it, you know, horizontally, but we don't want it when it's vertically and applied to our lives. You know, yeah. it's just something we have to look out for. 
And it, it is, it's that repetition of like, okay, like God has, you know, bestowed us with so much grace and then we're just going to keep it all to ourselves. You know, we're going to put the lamp under the bed, hide the light. And it just doesn't make sense. And I don't think it's healthy as a Christian if you're just hoarding that grace, you know, either. And I mean, and I'm, I'm speaking to myself here, like this is why I'm even saying this because I need to work on that so much. But I mean, you're right. I mean, even just in your analogies, I mean, and, and this is what's hard to accept, you know, especially at first when you're really digging through this stuff is like we were enemies of God. You know, we wouldn't have chosen him. Not only did it's, it's not like we're just running around like, eh. Nah, you know, no thanks. I mean, like, we are actively enemies of God. Yeah, I mean, Scripture says a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Right, yeah. And taking that enemy in and saying, you know, not only do I forgive you, not only will we have a ceasefire, but now you're going to be part of my family. Put my robe of righteousness upon you. Right, yeah, which is crazy. Yeah, because, I mean, that would have been like a symbol of of honor. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And so just to kind of close out, as we prepare to to think about faith alone, and, you know, we've said numerous times throughout <laughs> this episode that as we get there, we are going to talk more about good works. Yeah. But Paul does say in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God that is with me. So Paul is talking about his hard work, but he's relating it back to that it was all because of the grace of God in his life. And him also stating that not only did that grace play a part in his ability to work, but that his work showed that the grace bestowed upon him was not given in vain. So there's there's a reason why we are called to good works. And part of it is that our salvation, the grace, the mercy that God has bestowed upon us was not in vain. Absolutely. I mean, especially when you look at the backdrop of Paul's life and what he did to God's people, you know, before he was converted, looking at that in comparison to not only God's mercy, but the grace and then what it produced in him. I think that's what's important too, is to understand that, you know, grace is supposed to produce humility put us in a place where we can go be a possession for God to be his people, to do good works and things like that. So I'm super excited about the uh, next topic too. <laughs> I know you are. You ready? <laughs> well, and you bring in, you know, bringing a lot of background and knowledge to really speak on that. So I look forward to us doing that one as well. So with this, I mean, we are thankful for God's grace, for his mercy first, that he's shown upon us by not giving us what we deserve in our sin Uh, And then going that extra measure of bestowing grace upon us to give us what we do not deserve, eternal life, a relationship with him, eternity with him. And so we thank God for for his grace. And we look forward to speaking next week on faith alone and how salvation is through faith alone and not by our works. So, Scott, thank you for joining the podcast today, man. I look forward to uh, you guest hosting again here as we talk about faith. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. That way you won't miss an episode. We're dropping new episodes every Monday. So when you subscribe, go ahead and give us a five-star rating. Share the podcast with your friends. We also look forward to connecting with you on social media. You can find us on Twitter at deed underscore truth and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at the Deed and Truth Podcast. You can also check out our website at deedandtruthpodcast.com. You can leave us a voicemail, give us a review there, or just send us a message. All right, until next time.